This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Remember me? We are back from our hiatus. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. I am back from my uh, uh, home improvement. Actually, it's not even home improvement. I, well, actually, I guess it is uh, RV improvement days as we, uh, my uh, stepson Joe was here from North Carolina, and we were working on uh, my daughter's RV. Uh, I am really glad to be, have that. Well, we're not done, but... Or, Joe is heading back to North Carolina. I've still got some work to do, but uh, I missed you guys. I missed uh, having a chance to talk about sports. So we got a lot to get to this morning. So let's do that. We, have, of course, we'll start off with um, some great news, I guess, um, as far as the coronavirus goes. Masks no longer going to be required uh, outside if you are fully vaccinated, or at least the CDC is saying that it's it's safe here in the state of Connecticut. They've done the same thing. Uh, I got to be honest, when I go for a walk, even though they said you should be wearing a mask if you're not fully vaccinated before, I wasn't wearing a mask. I wore a mask in stores and, and things like that. But when I was out for a walk, I wasn't wearing a mask. I'm outside, you know, and the, and the word came down that it, less than 10 percent of the cases of uh, the coronavirus have been because of from outside transmission. So, you know, it's not a surprise they've gotten to this point. You know, the only question now is, is when do we get it so that if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear the damn thing at all? You know, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still going to do the right thing. But, you know, and, and as far as stores and stuff go, but I just, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be over. And, uh, you know, I don't know when we're going to get there. And part of the problem is, is that we have people that still refuse to be vaccinated. And, and you know, they're still working on that push to do that. One of the things here in the state of Connecticut a uh, big contentious thing that just happened yesterday is that they have eliminated or they just passed a bill to eliminate the religious exemption for school vaccinations. And uh, I'm, I'm for this. Look, the majority of kids in this state get vaccinated. The problem is, is that we have pockets in the state, some of the more rural areas where we have large numbers in school systems not getting vaccinated to the point where you don't have that herd immunity. And that's become the problem. And you also have to look at this. And, you know, a lot of people that are doing this religious exemption thing, I don't think it's not legit. I'm sorry. You know, I think it's more they're anti-vaxxers and uh, whatnot. But, you know, the, the figures were this. In 2013, 316 kids in the state had a religious exemption. 316 kids out of 96,000 students in 2013 had a religious exemption. In the 2019-20 academic year, that number was 1,536, five times as many. So you're telling me all of a sudden five times as many people in the state got religion and decided that they didn't want to have vaccinations? This is more of... Uh, left versus right, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And, you know, it's just, it's gotten crazy. So uh, it got passed yesterday, mostly along party lines, but 
Uh, the governor is going to sign it into to law. And look, if some people leave the state because of it, so be it. You know, it's kind of like it with the coronavirus thing. Look, we've got to get the herd immunity. Uh, Rob Manfred from Major League Baseball said that right now, 70% of the players in Major League Baseball, that's on-field staff as well as players and support personnel, have all been fully or partially vaccinated. So they're up to 70% already. I mean, their they're threshold, they want to get to 85. And that's what uh, the, the CDC says. If we get to 85 here nationally, we'll have herd immunity. So, uh, and, and Major League Baseball has said if they get to that 85, they're going to relax a lot of the restrictions, you know. And uh, so let's hope that they get there. But they're up to 70% already, which is a great, great sign. Um, so baseball last night, the Boston Red Sox have kept things going. I, you know, it's so funny. I, I keep, and maybe this is my years of um, uh getting disappointed by the Red Sox year after year after year where they, you know, they do so well and then they crush you like a grape. Uh, and I keep expecting for them to take a nosedive and it looked like for, you know, a minute there they were going to, but they get it done again last night. They beat the New York Mets two to one Red Sox remain in first place in the American league East, uh, by three games over Tampa and, uh, Toronto, the Yankees won last night, but they're still four and a half back. Um, so the Red Sox have now won two in a row now, and this is where, you know, look, you say, well, they're five and five in their last 10. All right. Well, you know, look, here's the deal right now. The Red Sox are six games over 500. If they play 500 ball the rest of the way, that means they're going to have 87 wins, 87 wins right now. looks like it gets you in the playoffs. If you get 90 wins, you're definitely going to get in the playoffs. So if you think about it from this standpoint, if the Red Sox can now play 500 ball the rest of the way, I mean, we got a long way to go. They played 24 games. We got 138 to go. <laughs> but if they, you know, if so, out of that 138, if they go 69 and 69, they give themselves a good shot. If they can go 71, you know, and, and, and 67, they're going to make the playoffs. It's that simple, you know. I mean, I know it's early to start thinking about playoffs, but, you know, that big run that they had, that huge winning streak, got them in a position now where if they can just hold serve, you know, split series or, you know, win, you know, the majority of your series, they're going to make it. Last night was, I have to admit, I was very pessimistic going into this uh, series against the Mets because I knew that the Red Sox had Garrett Richards pitching last night and Garrett Richards hasn't been able to throw a strike. He's been absolutely brutal. And I also knew in the second game of the series, the Red Sox were going to have to face Jacob DeGrom, who is not only the Mets' best pitcher, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, and look, you didn't – last night's game, if you had told me going into last night's game that Garrett Richards was going to give up just one run in seven innings, strike out ten and not walk anybody, I would have thought you were nuts. And it's as simple as this. Going into last night's game in 16 and two-thirds innings, Richards had walked 13 guys. 13 guys. He had given up. He'd only struck out 12. He had, he had walked more guys than he had struck out. Never a good thing. You know, and so he'd given up 14 runs in, in, those, uh, in those 16 innings. I mean, you look at those numbers and you go, they're toast. You know, game one, they're toast. 
the only hope you had was, you know, David Peterson, who was starting for the Mets, hadn't been very good either. Now he was pretty good last night too. But the Red Sox got the hits when they need them. They didn't get a lot of hits. They only had five of them. But one of them was Bobby Dahlbeck's first home run of the season, something we've been waiting for forever. And then uh, a couple of, uh, you know, a, a bloop double and a bloop single, and the Red Sox scored the go-ahead run, and that's how it ended because the Red Sox bullpen uh, picked up for Richards. Uh, Matt Andrees pitched a scoreless eighth. Matt Barnes pitched a ridiculously efficient ninth inning, and game over. If this is what we're going to get from Garrett Richards, great. That was Garrett Richards' first win since 2018 with all the injuries and everything that he has had over the years. You know, this is a guy that's still trying to find his way back. And one game does not a season make, and, you know, he could he could take a step back in his next start, but he did things differently last night. He's primarily been a guy that just throws a fastball, throws a slider. Last night he's throwing curveballs, and the Mets did not seem to be prepared for that. He threw, you know, some some you know, a couple of them I would call lazy curveballs, the kind of curveballs where if they had been looking for a curveball, they might have hit it, you know, to Cleveland. But, you know, I, they, when they looked at film of Richards, all they were seeing was fastballs and sliders. Last night, the lollipop curves dropping in there. He dropped eight of them in for strikes, threw 20 of them in the game. And the Mets just didn't seem prepared for that. Now, if that's going to be part of his pattern, obviously teams are going to start looking for the curveball, and he's gonna have, they're going to have to be a little bit better than some of the ones he threw last night. But we'll take this all day long, no question. And it's a big shot in the arm. Uh, and, and look, the Red Sox now have 17 game, or 18 games this season out of the 24, 18 games where their starting pitchers have gone uh, at least six innings. That is the highest in Major League Baseball. And again, going into the start of this year, and everybody said, well, the Red Sox are not a playoff team. It's going to be a disaster. Based on what happened last year, and you look at the fact that you know, Erod was coming off of the coronavirus myocarditis issue where he couldn't pitch at all last year. You know, you were counting on a Garrett Richards who had been injured for most of the last couple of years. Martin Perez, who's, you know, a number five starter at best. Nate Valdi, who is, you know, perhaps one of the most uh, overrated or overhyped guys in a starting rotation in baseball based on one great performance he had in the World Series against the Dodgers a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, he was probably getting too much credit. And, and and Nick Pavetta, a guy who's a reclamation project from Philly. So you're like, there's no way this starting rotation is going to be any good. And here we are. With Chris Sale to come in a few months, hopefully. So, uh, you know, again, don't want to get too carried away, but it's a it was a beautiful thing to see last night. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as far as Matt Barnes goes, you know, he got his picked up his fifth save last night. He has been absolutely uh, unhittable, with the exception of one outing where they got to him for a couple of runs in a game that was not even a save situation. That's what sometimes I hate bringing closes into games when you know the game is not on the line. Those guys are are kind of uh, hardwired to get those you know to come into those kind of situations, and you put them in a situation where you know it's not as uh, tense. They tend to let down a little bit, and that's when they get hurt. And you know, so that will happen in one outing. But last night, ten pitches to get a one, two, three, ninth inning. He struck out two of them, just blew guys away. They had, did not know what to do. 
Barnes has looked like a completely different pitcher this year. He's changed his approach. He's not throwing his curveball as much. He's relying more on his fastball. He's picked up his pace. You know, before it was like, uh, you know, you could have a cup of coffee between pitches. You know, none of that. You know, they have sped him up, and they have got him back to his fastball. They've got him pitching more like the way he pitched when he was at the University of Connecticut. I watched him during his entire college career from the other side because I was working at a school that played against UConn, and I watched time after time after time when he would come out and and face us where he was just ridiculous. And you could say, yeah, well, all right, you know, it's college. But, you know, you, you can tell when a guy is more than just a college player. And you knew that with Matt Barnes the minute you saw him at college. But they've got him back pitching more the way he did at UConn, and it has been uh, a wonder. You know, and they, so right now, you know, if you're the a Red Sox fans, what, what are you concerned about? Well, there's really only, you know, one other concern that I have, and that's what's happening in the bottom of the lineup. And, and there was a great story in the, uh, in the Boston Globe this morning. The number seven, eight, nine hitters in the Red Sox lineup are only hitting 174. Now, now they did get a couple of hits last night. To be fair, Bobby Dahlbeck went one for three, hit a home run. Hunter Renfro actually, actually, he was, Renfro, excuse me, was in the sixth spot last night uh, because that pitcher had to hit last night. But Marwin Gonzalez and Renfro and Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero, the guys that have been the main guys hitting in the bottom of the lineup, have not been hitting at all. And if you're the Red Sox, that's got to be a bit of a concern. Now, Marwin Gonzalez has been playing great defense. No matter where they put him, he's done a great job. You're going to have to live with that. He's got to play every day, and you got to live with it. Bobby Dahlbeck, he's hitting 250. He's starting to come around a little bit, um, and he has become a better-than-average defensive first baseman. So I live with that. My concern is what the Red Sox are going to do with that number seven spot where basically it's been either Hunter Renfro or Franchi Cordero. Renfro is hitting 189. Cordero is hitting something like, you know, 130 and striking out half the time up. There is going to come a point where the Red Sox are going to have to make a decision here. And this is where a kid like Jaron Duran, who is down in the alternate training site and is, is scheduled to start when the AAA season starts on May 5th, he'll be on the Red Sox AAA team. But it may not be for very long. Based on what we saw from that kid in spring training, he's never played against above AA. That's the problem. They don't want to just you know toss him into Major League Baseball, a kid that's never really pitched or never really played um, you know, at the Major League level. But he showed he could hold his own in spring training. And we know he can, he can flat-out fly. And, you know, he's a great defender. So if you're, if you're looking at that and you're going, well, Cordero is an average outfielder at best, and I'm not even sure average is where I'm going to go with him, and you got a guy who's going to strike out half the time, you know, now they're not going to, you know, now Cordero's got some options left. He can go back down to the minor leagues. Hunter Renfro cannot. So, I, you know, they're stuck with Renfro. You know, and so where do you go with this? Is it going to be Jared Duran? You know, they've also um, uh, got Danny Santana down there who has been coming back from an injury, a guy that they signed late in spring training. You know, that's another guy they could bring up. They're going to have to do something. At some point, the bottom of your lineup has got to be able to get on base. Uh, And that's, you know, so that's that's really, if I'm a Red Sox fan, that's the only thing that concerns me, you know, at all. Um, They stuck... 
J.D. Martinez in left field last night playing at a National League ballpark where the pitchers got a hit. They didn't want to take J.D.'s bat out of the lineup, although J.D. had a less than stellar game last night. Uh, he went 0 for 4. Uh, but how about J.D. Martinez last night throwing a guy out in left, you know, from left field? trying to stretch a single into a double it was a dumb play I mean it was first of all it was the catcher that made that had the hit and it was showed a total lack of respect for JD Martinez who let's be fair is a below average outfielder doesn't play out there very often but James McCann decided he was going to try to stretch it into a double and JD got to the ball threw him out at second base and such JD just was kind of laughing like I can't believe he did that and or, or it was either I can't believe he did that or holy cow, I actually threw somebody out. But either way, if you're a Red Sox fan, you're thrilled uh, that you saw that last night. So tonight's Jacob deGrom night uh, for the Mets. Uh, deGrom right now is doing uh, things that we have not seen in a long, long time. This kid's ridiculous. Now, he's already won two Cy Young, so you're saying, well, what do you, what do you mean we haven't seen it in a long time? Um, this guy's pitched 29 innings this year in his four, first four starts. 29 innings. He's given up. One earned run, one in 29 innings, and he has struck out 50 guys in 29 innings. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, now, you know, so here's the thing. And, and going into this series, I automatically just assume there's no way the Red Sox are winning game two with DeGrom pitching. However, as good as DeGrom has been, the Mets are only two and two in those games. Uh, be, why? Well, because it seems like whenever Jacob DeGrom pitches, the Mets take the night off uh, offensively, and they have not been able to score for him. I mean, look at look at this. First four games of the season, he goes six innings in game one. He left their winning 2 nothing. They took him out after six innings and just 77 pitches, which, you know, we talked about that earlier in the season. was just dumb. So he leaves with the game 2 um, nothing. But guess what? Bullpen can't hold it. Mets lose the game. Second game, he goes out against Miami. Strikes out 14 without giving up a walk. He gave up one run. He gave up a solo home run. It's the only run, earned run he has given up all season. He leaves the game after eight innings. His team's losing one nothing. The Mets end up losing the game 3 nothing. So there you go. You know, First two games of the season, uh, they've lost both his starts. Not wasn't his fault. Uh, third game, he goes three innings. He does he did give up three runs. Worst start of the season, but they were all unearned runs. And he struck out 14 more. Now, the Mets ended up winning it 4-3. Uh, to three. And then in the last game, he, he goes nine innings. Two hits, no runs. Struck out 15, no walks. They win it, obviously, 6-0. Uh, that was the only time the Mets really gave him any run support all season. But they're 2-2 two and two in his start. So it's not a guaranteed win tonight if the Red Sox are smart. And one thing the Red Sox have not done as well this year, they have not worked the count that much. You know, they have, uh, you know, we're used to Red Sox teams, you know, working the count, working a lot of walks, taking a lot of pitches. They have not done that this year. They're swinging a lot earlier in counts. Now, against DeGrom, you know, if you're if you're the Red Sox going in tonight to tonight, do you say, well, we got to work the count. We got to try to get this guy out of the game early. If we can get his pitch count up into the 90s in the sixth inning, maybe we get him out of there. And if it's a close game, we can beat the bullpen. You know, now that's providing Nick Pavetta can keep them in the game. So uh, it's going to be a tough one tonight. There's no question about it. And look, the Mets aren't hitting very well. 
to be fair, they're not. You know, so the fact that the Red Sox beat them last night is not a huge surprise. Uh, but the thing that was a surprise last night was Richards striking out 10. The Mets don't, are strike out the third fewest amount of times in Major League Baseball this year. So they're not hitting for a great average, but they do make contact. They don't strike out a lot. Um, so, you know, what Richards did last night is even more impressive. And but one more thing before we move on to the next game. Um, interesting last night, late in the game, uh, Francisco Lindor grounded out to end the eighth inning, and there were boos coming from the stands. You know, and this is the Francisco Lindor who's hitting, I think, uh, 210 now. The guy who signed that huge contract extension for $300-plus the guy that is going to be the face of your franchise, uh, along with uh, Pete Alonso and Michael Conforto for the next number of years. A lot of boos coming from the stands last night as Lindor continues to struggle offensively. Now, he's playing great defense, but offensively he has really, really struggled at the start of this season. Uh, the Yankees win last night. They keep pace. Uh, well, they keep pace. They're in last, the Yankees are in last place, which, of course, as a Red Sox fan, does my heart good. The Yankees do pick up the win last night to move to 10-13. and 13. Uh, They are tied for last place with the team they beat last night, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Corey Kluber picked up his first win last night in two years, went six and two-thirds, only gave up a, a run and six hits, uh, you know, and signed that one-year $11 million deal with the Yankees as a free agent after pitching a grand total of one inning uh, last year uh, with the uh, with the shoulder injury. So it looks like that he is starting to figure it out, which is a good sign for the Yankees. Uh, they got some power last night. Kyle Higashioka with a home run. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton also went deep. And uh, the Yankees win 5-1. to one. Interesting, again, with the Yankees, Gary Sanchez, the catcher that everybody said, oh, he's back, he's back. He's, you know, we're going to see the old Gary Sanchez. Well, yeah, he's back already. He's back on the bench. Higashioka got the start last night, and Aaron Boone, the manager, has had to have a talk with Sanchez and say, look, dude, you're not hitting. Higashioka is, you know, you're not going to play as much. Higashioka is hitting 320. Gary Sanchez is hitting 190. And Higashioka is a much better defensive catcher. No question about that. And, you know, people want to say, well, Higashioka's got a better, they got a better ERA with him on the mound. You know, well, it's not really fair because he generally catches all of Garrett Cole's starts. So it's going to be better automatically. But Sanchez just isn't hitting. So uh, the Yankees will play the Orioles again today. Uh, Domingo Herman, who has struggled here in the early going, will get the start uh, for the Yankees. He's 1-2 and two with a 6-2-3 ERA. And the Orioles are going to recall uh, one of their minor leaguers, Dean Kremer, to make the start against the Yankees. Uh, he has made one start this season, uh, got lit up. So it uh, doesn't bode well for the Orioles tonight. The Yankees did make a trade yesterday. They traded Mike Talkman. Uh, reserve outfield to the San Francisco Giants uh, in exchange for Wandy Peralta, a left-handed relief pitcher. Uh, he will kind of take the spot on the roster of Zach Britton, who is on the 60-day DL. He just had elbow surgery. He's expected back in June or July, but Peralta will become that third left-hander in the Mets bullpen along with Aroldis Chapman and Justin Wilson. Talkman really didn't – they didn't have a place for him. Look, you, you know, you've got uh, uh, Aaron Judge out there. You've got Aaron Hicks in center, you know, and then in left field, uh, you know, they're playing uh, most of the time it's Clint Frazier or Brett Gardner splitting time. So Talkman really wasn't getting any at-bats anyway. He'd only had, I think, 14 at-bats all season. 
So he goes to San Francisco, who needs another outfielder right now. Mike Yastrzemski just went down with an oblique strain. He's going to be out for a little while. So, um, you know, this gives the Giants a patch there. And, look, Talkman's a guy that has shown that he can hit a little bit. So he might be somebody that is able to stick long-term with the Giants. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call. We're back on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. A programming note, coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, we've got the guys from the Sunday card. Um, They usually do a a weekly pick show, of course, during the NFL season for us. Well, they have got a special coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. It's a draft preview. I guess they're going to do a mock draft uh, for the NFL. The draft comes up on Thursday night. Draft day for NFL fans uh, like my buddy Dan Zampano is like Christmas. Uh, I am sure that uh, he has uh, uh, got his uh, his board all ready to go. So the guys are going to be on tonight. That's seven o'clock Eastern time here on Sports Country Radio. If you want to check that out, those guys are uh, they are very entertaining to listen to. And I'm going to be curious to see uh, what they say. Of course, everybody thinks that we're going to have five quarterbacks go in the first round. We'll see if indeed. That is the case. And then we're going to have Dan on with us Friday morning uh, to talk about day one of the NFL draft. I haven't talked to him yet about exactly what time. I assume we'll have him at our regular 930 slot, but we'll have to uh, uh, we'll get that finalized. But we will have Dan on on Friday morning to talk about day one of the NFL draft. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. It's sure to be entertaining. And if there is a God in heaven, the New England Patriots take a quarterback in the first round. And I'm still waiting to see if the Patriots are going to try to move up in this draft. I still think that there is a decent chance they try to do it. Um, if they want to, you know, it depends, I guess, on who they think the quarterback that they want is and how high they think they need to get them. It also might depend on what happens in the first uh, four or five picks of the draft if things don't go as a lot of people expect and guys start falling farther down in the draft. you know. So we'll see. But anyway, check those guys out tonight, 7 o'clock here on Sports Country Radio. I'm uh, going to shift uh, uh, direction here for just a minute, talk some hockey. Uh, Boston Bruins with a big win last night, beating the Pittsburgh Penguins 3-1, to one, a game that the Bruins really needed to have. They stay in that fourth playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. They are only one point now behind the Islanders. Uh, they still have uh, a game in hand with the Islanders, two games in hand with Pittsburgh. Uh, so it is not beyond the realm of possibility that the, the Bruins could move up perhaps into that uh, third spot, they maybe have a shot at the second spot. That was a tough loss they had the other night in Pittsburgh, that one nothing loss. i tell you what, the kid Swayman, that young goaltender for the Bruins, is really playing his tail off. Uh, he is one of the feel-good stories for me uh, of this NHL season if you are uh, if you follow the Boston Bruins. But a uh, big win for them last night. David Krejci with a goal in the second period. Uh, and then uh, in the second period, Brad Marchand and David Pasternak uh, hooked up uh, for a goal. And uh, Tuka Rask, Great job in the pipes last night. Had a shutout uh, until about two minutes left in the game, but uh, another solid start for Tuka Rask. Having him back from that injury, it looks like, you know, and now you wonder the, with the way Swayman's been playing. He lost that one nothing game in Pittsburgh the other night, but the way he's playing, you wonder now uh, when Halak's ready to go again, Does Swain, has Swayman supplanted Yaroslav Halak as the number two goaltender? 
That's going to be a, a very interesting decision that Bruce Cassidy is going to have coming up. Now, the Bruins are off tonight. Uh, they return home to TD Garden on Thursday to play the hideous Buffalo Sabres. So, you know, you look at that, and that's one of those games. That has to be a win. You know, you cannot lose that game on Thursday night to the Buffalo Sabres. They're only uh, four points ahead of the Rangers. Uh, and, again, they have a couple of games in hand with the Rangers, but you do not want to give the Rangers a sniff of that four spot. So uh, they have got to win that game on Thursday night. The other thing that's going to be interesting to see, the playoffs are going to be coming up here shortly, and we still have the situation at the border where uh, we have no cross-border travel being allowed. And uh, the NHL you know, tried to make some changes to th- things early before the season started. They took all of the Canadian teams and put them in the Northern Division. So the seven Canadian teams are all in one division. Now, as of right now, the earliest that the Northern Division would have to play a U.S. team would be in June. And how are they going to handle that? Obviously, that you know, if they play within, uh, you know, they could alter things and they they play it until there's only the two teams left and they move them around. You know, maybe they have to come to the United States. The problem is then if. <laughs> Are they going to be able to go back home? And why is this? Well, because Canada is not vaccinating its people. You know, I, I, right now, the United States as a whole um, has about 40 to 50 percent of the population vaccinated. In Canada, only 3 percent of the Canadian population is fully vaccinated. 3 percent. So, you know, a lot of people are making the assumption that it's the Canadians that don't want us uh, stinky Americans uh, up in Canada because we might bring the disease with us. When in point of fact, the difficulty is, is that it's America that is way ahead of the Canadians in terms of vaccinations. And it's really Canada, uh, which is a place you don't want to be right now because the vaccinations haven't really taken hold. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of places in Canada. It's not easy to get people vaccinated. I mean, there are a lot of uh, uh, remote towns and things. And uh, but three percent, they got to do better than that. So right now, Gary Bettman is kind of uh, uh, has said it's unpredictable. Actually, I think he used the term wildly unpredictable. Uh, so we don't know how they're going to structure these playoffs. There's been some talk about perhaps quarantining teams again in bubbles. Um you know, again, it's difficult. Right now, 23 of the 24 U.S. teams are allowing fans into the into the games. Um, you know, do they want to take that risk or do they want to put them back in a bubble for the playoffs? Look, we've still got a little bit of time yet. The If we keep the vaccination thing rolling, maybe it won't be necessary. But right now, those Canadian teams are the wild card and how they're going to handle that. Uh, it'll be uh, so stay tuned. But, uh, you know, again, we have a few weeks before that starts to become an issue, but it's it's going to hit us uh, before you know it. Uh, one other NHL note before we move on. Uh, the NHL is leaving NBC. They have signed a new deal uh, with Turner Sports. You probably saw this that happened a couple of days ago. Um, and so now uh, NBC will no longer be covering the NHL. It, that's the first time, by the way since uh, 2005, so they've been on NBC for the last 16 years. And uh, this is the final season of its 10-year contract. And for Turner, they have become 
Um, you know, we we talk a lot about when we talk about sports coverage. You know, you talk about the big three most of the time, or the big four, I guess, when NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox. Turner Sports has very, I guess you'd have to say, very quietly uh, become a huge player in sports because they now they now of course they have rights uh, for baseball, right? They have rights obviously to the NBA. Uh, they have NASCAR rights to uh, to broadcast a, a number of games there, and now they're adding hockey to the deal. The only thing Turner doesn't have a piece of right now is the NFL, and that might be coming. Uh, but they are uh, a huge player now in TV sports, and and it's been like I said, it's kind of an under the radar kind of thing. But uh, so uh, we will not be seeing it on uh, NBC. I mean, and it. it it includes, I guess, up to 72 regular season games uh, and uh, half of the first and second round playoff games. On both, They'll be on both TNT uh, and TBS as well as the conference uh, final series. And uh, one of the regular season games are going to be the um, that annual NHL Winter Classic that they have on New Year's Day. So, uh, and, and if you're if you're the NHL, you're thrilled because now you have two networks you've got ESPN they reached an agreement with ESPN last month and now Turner so you have really doubled your exposure which is a huge thing uh, for the NHL Um, basketball note from yesterday the Celtics lose again I can't figure the Celtics team out I really can't now look I know they didn't have Kemba Walker yesterday he has uh, some kind of a uh, injury to his side so he did not play Jason Tatum did not play and Robert Williams did not play. She'd say, okay, well, Gene, then they should lose this game. No. They played the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder are awful. They are trying to do their best uh, imitation of tanking to, uh, to, to get in the draft lottery and get a shot at you know one of the first two or three picks in the NHL draft. They, they had 20 wins. They were 20 and 41 going into the game last night. You know, they were only five, five wins better than the worst team in the, in the NBA. And yet they found a way to beat that uh, Celtics team last night. The Celtics looked disinterested. There's no other way to put it. Jalen Brown had 39 points. Uh, matter of fact, he had, you know, 39 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, he was a perfect nine of nine from the line outside of that. Uh, they had a good job. Peyton Pritchard with a nice game off the bench. Those two guys combined for 67 of the 115 points for the Celtics. Brad Stevens continues to play Samuel Lajue. I do not know why. I can't. I don't. I don't know. What, you know. I, I don't know whether he's got some kind of a, a photographic a blackmail over Brad Stevens. He continues to start this stiff. Two points last night in eight minutes. <coughs> Just why? Why are you even wasting the minutes? Uh, Tristan Thompson was awful last night. They had to start him in place of Robert Williams in the middle. Uh, just terrible. They get nothing off the bench outside of Pritchard. So, uh, just brutal. Just brutal. And, and, and I have said all along, I don't think this is Brad Stevens' fault. I don't think he needs to get fired. And I, I stand by that. 
you know, and Brad Stevens is not going to change his coaching style. His coaching style has always been kind of a, a steady Eddie kind of thing, you know, not getting too pumped up, not too high, not too low. He's not going to be a guy that's going to jack guys up in the locker room. Um, you know, and look, the Celtics shouldn't need that with the amount of talent they have on this team. So, uh, just the Bruins, are just, I mean, the, uh, the Celtics are just killing me. 32 and 30 now. You know, and uh, they've lost a couple of games in the last week that are just games you cannot lose. So they find themselves sitting right now in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. And actually, they're tied technically for the sixth spot with the Miami Heat. They're going to find themselves in a play-in at the rate that they're going. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. They've now lost three in a row. You know, everybody, remember the last, what, a week and a half ago, everybody said, oh, they're back. You know, they had they had a nice winning streak going up. Oh, Celtics are back. They're a team to be worried about. No. You know, this team, I, I cannot figure it out. For a team that has, has as much talent as it does, uh, it, it is it is perhaps the most under underwhelming team I have ever seen the Celtics have. I mean, there have been seasons where the Celtics have been awful. You knew they were going to be awful. I have never seen a team with this much talent underperform uh, in a season as much as this Boston Celtics team has. 45 minutes past here. We're going to take another break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. It feels so good to be back in the uh, the saddle again. Uh, back uh, now, you know, and the funny part was the time I spent working on the uh, RV. Haven't had a, didn't have a chance to watch uh, a ton of games. Of course, I got the Red Sox games, but I just, uh, you know, of course, my wife enjoyed it. She was home and wasn't subjected to sports every second she was in the house. But uh, uh, it felt good uh, to be back here this morning. Uh, how old is Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals? Max Scherzer is so old that he has now given up home runs to both Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who took him deep twice last night, and his Hall of Fame father, Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, Scherzer and Ivan Nova are the only pitchers in Major League Baseball who have given up home runs to father and son Guerrero. And uh, Vlad Jr. Uh, enjoyed his outing against Max Scherzer last night, uh, hit a grand slam against him, uh, as well as a solo shot as part of a three-home run outburst for Vlad Jr. last night. Uh, and uh, the Toronto Blue Jays took advantage of it, and they beat the Washington Nationals 9-5. to Vlad, three for four, those three bombs, seven runs batted in, now hitting three sixty on the season. Uh, look, he's never going to be confused with a, a gold-glove first baseman. He still wants to play third base, but they've got him at first. And uh, he's not a great defensive player. But, boy, I tell you what, he took off about 25 pounds or 30 pounds in the offseason. And you can tell. I mean, it is just paying dividends. And uh, they lit Scherzer up last night. Uh, Scherzer gave up five uh, runs, seven, actually seven runs, five earned in five innings. Now, Scherzer, prior to that, um, had only given up one earned run in his previous uh, 19 innings in his first three starts of the season. Uh, last night was just he ran into a buzzsaw last night and uh, a good job out of the Toronto bullpen last night uh, they used uh, seven pitchers or six relievers actually after the uh, the starter couldn't get out of the third inning 
and uh, the Blue Jays win 9-5. to So the Blue Jays trying to keep pace with the Boston Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays. They are now tied at 11-11 and for second place uh, in the American League East. And think about this. You know, this is a Toronto Blue Jay team that has not put their uh, prized free agent acquisition on the field. George Springer uh, is close to making his debut, but he is still not 100%. Uh, he said he feels great except for running, which is going to be a problem. <laughs> if if you're going to play the outfield, you got to run. So think about how much more dangerous this Toronto team is going to be when you have George Springer in center field. You know, they are, you know, and I know everybody worries about the Yankees. Everybody worries about the Rays. This Jays team is going to be scary at least offensively scary. They're going to go as far as their pitching can carry them. But offensively, this is going to be a very scary team when Springer is back and 100%. Uh, the Rays last night with a win. They beat the red-hot Oakland Athletics last night, a final of 4-3. to three. Um, Michael Walker got the start. Pitched pretty well for Tampa. Went five innings, only gave up one run. I say pitch great. Get a cookie. You couldn't get a you, – you, you can't get a quality start in five innings, but you get a cookie for going five innings and only giving up one run. Uh, Frankie Matas got the start for Oakland last night. Gave up three runs, six hits, and uh, uh, in those six innings of work. And uh, they just could not get the big hit, and Tampa wins it uh, with a run in the uh, bottom of the seventh inning – to uh, break the game open 4-2. to two. Uh, Oakland got a consolation run in the top of the ninth, uh, but Tampa wins it now. They are even at 12-12. Uh, and 12. Oakland falls to 15-9 and nine on the season. The Athletics still two games clear of the Seattle Mariners. I still can't believe I'm saying that in uh, the American League West. You know, have you – and I have to wonder, and I don't think, uh, for instance, I don't think Aaron Boone's in any trouble of losing his job in New York, but you have to wonder with some of these teams, if they if we're at a point where teams are going to start looking at the starts that they have had, and if they are going to start squirming a little bit in terms of who's managing their team. And there's really only one team that I can think of right now where you wonder if there is some trouble brewing, and that's the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins are now 7 and 15. 7 and 15 for a team that with all the trades that Cleveland had made and uh, everybody kind of just assumed that the Minnesota Twins were going to become the team to beat in the American League Central. Now obviously the Chicago White Sox with all those young players you know, obviously people thought that they were going to be right in the mix, but most people thought that the Minnesota Twins were going to be the team to beat. Well, Twins lost again last night to the Cleveland Indians, a team that uh, traded away everybody, well, Aaron Savali from East Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, seven and two-thirds last night, gave up uh, eight hits and four runs, struck out four, didn't walk anybody, picked up his fourth win of the season. He's 4-0. and Kenta Maeda got lit up again. He now has an ERA of six and a half. Uh, gave up five runs and eight hits in five and two-thirds innings. And uh, the Cleveland Indians 
keep it rolling. Uh, now they're eleven and eleven, but the Minnesota Twins are seven and fifteen. So if you're Rocco Baldelli, are you starting to worry about your job? You know, at what point do do the, do people start to get a little restless? You know, and you can't blame it on look. They Byron Buxton's hitting the crap out of the ball. He's hitting three ninety. Nelson Cruz. You know, the guy who's 112 years old playing designated hitter is hitting 329. Still hitting the ball hard, you know. Uh, but, you know, you look at this team, you know, Luis Araya is a guy that they're counting on. Hasn't been uh, great, but Josh Donaldson hitting well. Alex Kirilov, they brought him up finally from the minors to play left field. He struggled to get off, uh, uh, get things going as a rookie. You've got Willens Ostadio playing every day. I don't understand that. I have to be honest with you. You know, Garver's not hitting at all behind the plate, and they are getting absolutely zero pitching. So 7-15 and 15 with much expected from the Minnesota Twins and nothing happening yet. So, you know, I don't know if Rocco's in trouble. I hope not. I like him. Um, but you do have to begin to wonder at what point do teams like I mean look nobody is going to fire AJ Hinch in Detroit because they're 8 and 16 nobody expects them to be any good you know nobody expects the Texas Rangers to be any good uh you know do you look at the Washington Nationals they've started off 8 and 12 the Chicago Cubs David Ross that team is 10 and 13 but again I don't think anybody expected the Cubs were going to win the National League Central right now to me the only team that has severely underperformed. Well, there's two. The New York Yankees, but still, they're only three games under 500. We got a ton of time to go, and I, I think Boone's fine. But this Minnesota Twins team is really, really struggling, and I, and I just wonder how patient they are going to be in Minnesota. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I promise. I'm glad to be back, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this morning. Enjoy the warm weather. It's supposed to be uh, 80 degrees here in the Northeast, and I hope it's warm where you are. And uh, we leave you this morning with some music from Lauren Elena and John Party getting over him. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.